Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. When I was a girl with a book in my hand, I could go to a place so deep no one could follow. Beth Ann Fennelly, Heating and Cooling. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And today I'm answering listeners' literary conundrums and quandaries like a less pretentious Fraser Crane. I love these episodes so much. We're making them a regular part of our From the Front Porch schedule. So if you have an issue you'd like to bring to therapy, you can leave me a voicemail. Just visit fromthefrontporchpodcast.com forward slash contact, then scroll to the middle of the page and leave a message. No microphone necessary. Just tell me your name, where you're from, and your literary problem, and you could be featured in an upcoming episode of From the Front Porch. All of this information is in the show notes, so If you don't remember, no problem. You can go back and click the link and leave me a voicemail. If you've left me a voicemail and you don't hear your literary conundrum today, that's because we're saving it for an upcoming episode. So never fear. I love hearing from each and every one of you. In fact, before we get started today, I want to hear an update from listener Elizabeth. Back in episode 321, Elizabeth talked about rereading some of her favorite books this summer. Here's how her experiment went. Hi, Annie. It's Elizabeth in Kansas City calling to follow up with you about my summer of rereading. Overall, I really enjoyed it. I decided to reread five titles and then read a new one, which I think was sort of great motivation for me and also made me a little more selective about what new titles I was going to be reading. I think the biggest thing that I learned was that the books I had read most recently and loved that I chose to reread, I found myself loving even more. And the books that I remember loving as a child or a young adult in rereading now didn't hold up as well. I think in the future, I will definitely be rereading more, maybe not five in a row, but more. Sometimes when you finish a book and you think, I just am in the mood for something that made me feel like Song of Achilles made me feel. I think in the future, I will just reread whatever book it is that I am thinking about. Thank you so much for the push. I really enjoyed the challenge and I hope you have a great rest of your summer. Thanks. I loved this idea so much back when Elizabeth first brought it to my attention, and I'm thrilled it worked for you, Elizabeth. You've inspired me to consider a project like this in the future, one that kind of combines both a love for backlist titles and for rereading, which is something I do not always make time for, but also still allows time in your reading life to tackle a new book or two. So I'm so glad this worked for you. I really am considering it for my own future reading project. So thank you for sharing that with us, and thanks for reporting back. That was really fun. Her reading project does feel like the perfect segue to our first literary dilemma for this week, brought to us by Megan. Hi, Annie. It's Megan from Portland, Oregon, calling to ask about the ability to focus in a post-pandemic world and will my attention span ever return? Thanks. Megan, first of all, I want you to know 
you are not alone. (laughs) And the reason I feel like this is important to say is because this was the number one literary conundrum mentioned to me on Instagram. This idea that our reading tastes have either changed, which we'll get to in an upcoming conundrum, or that our attention spans have just been altered seemingly forever (laughs) by the pandemic and the repercussions of the pandemic. So I guess the first thing, and I think this is important in real therapy, right, is to know that you're not alone. So you're not alone in having this issue. It doesn't mean you're failing at reading. It doesn't mean you'll never read for fun again. It just means life is hard and your brain is full of lots of other information. I do have a few tips for you, but I also want you to know, not only are you not alone with other readers, you're not alone with me. Like I have really struggled this summer in particular with my reading life and my quantity of books is the same, but I am not, or is about the same, but I'm not sure I am fully processing all the things I'm reading. I am really having a hard time. So I'm going to share with you some things that I have tried and that have helped me this summer. And I also think you should just know it's okay if it takes you a little while to kind of get back into your former reading rhythm. And if you don't get back to your former reading rhythm, I think that's okay. As long as you're still finding time to enjoy this thing that I think you still probably really love. So first up, I wanted to touch on what Elizabeth has already so beautifully mentioned, which is rereading. So one thing that really saved my reading life in 2020 was rereading or revisiting some children's books I really loved. I talked about reading Blue Mobility again by Sharon Creech. We're going to mention Sharon Creech a little later, but that is a book that I'm so glad I made the time to reread. One thing Jordan and I are doing this summer is rereading aloud together the Harry Potter books. So something that kind of takes you back thanks to nostalgia, kind of takes you back to maybe an easier time in your literal life and your reading life. I think that those could be worth revisiting. And I think Elizabeth has really shown that rereading might be a way to breathe new life into your reading habits. And I think sometimes there's this pressure to read the hot new titles and the best new things. And while obviously as a bookseller, I advocate that and I certainly want people discovering new authors and new titles, I don't think there's anything wrong with rereading, particularly when we're struggling to get back into a reading rhythm. I think about this the way I think about TV, honestly. There are shows that Jordan and I just constantly kind of fall back on for when we need a little bit of comfort. Sometimes that's The Office. Sometimes it's The Mindy Project for me, like the first couple of seasons just kind of bring me back to something I really enjoy. And so I think rereading or revisiting books from your past could be a fun way to do that. So that's one suggestion I have. It worked for me really in 2020 in particular. The second suggestion I have, and this has been weird for me this summer, but if you've been listening to my reading recaps, you know that I've done a few more audiobooks than I normally do. And so I wanted to mention audiobooks. Megan, I don't know if you are an audio or an auditory learner, or if you're a visual learner, I am a visual learner. And so audiobooks are not always the best solution for me. But this summer, I have really found myself kind of gravitating towards them. And I wanted to mention it here as a possibility, again, to breathe new life into your reading habits into what you are reading. Here are some audiobooks that have worked for me. I've been rereading or reading for the first time, actually, some Jane Austen works. I've also really loved Falling by TJ Newman. It's a really great thriller, but it feels almost acted out. Lincoln in the Bardo is highly literary fiction, but the way that the audiobook is conducted makes it feel like you're listening to a play. It really does. I, In fact, I hope they turn it into a stage production. I think there was rumors. There were rumors of that back when that book first came out, but 
I think that could be fun for listening and just kind of being immersed in it. Maybe even let the language wash over you instead of maybe analyzing it word for word like you might if you were literally reading it. I've also heard wonderful things about the audiobook Clap When You Land. It's one that I've downloaded to read, but I have not yet read it. That's by Elizabeth Acevedo. I loved The Wreckage of My Presence. That's a kind of celebrity memoir by Casey Wilson. I imagine A Very Punchable Face by Colin Jost would fall into the same category of being a really great audiobook. And back in the day, I it's, I feel like it's been years since I've mentioned this, but one of my very first memorable audiobook listening experiences was the book Rabbit Cake by Annie Hartnett. I also think that one's worth mentioning because it deals with grief. And I think we all are still grieving a lot of what we lost literally and metaphorically in 2020. And I think we are grieving currently how the state of the world looks, I think, a lot different than we thought it would. So I think that could be worth trying as well. I have also heard nothing but good things about the audiobook edition of Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. I think that book has some components that almost would translate better into an audiobook version. So I wanted to mention those for you, even if you're not typically an audiobook listener. All of those books have been really enjoyable to me in audiobook format. And here's the thing. When we are struggling to read or when we're struggling to find time to read or even to want to read, because it sounds, Megan, like that's what you're dealing with. It's certainly what I have been dealing with. It's not so much the time issue. It's I don't want to. I don't have the attention span for it. So I think trying books in a new format and then helping us just get back into the flow of reading, because what happens to me is I'll be almost on this great like uh, almost a binge of books. Like I really will find myself reading book after book after book and loving them. And then all of a sudden I will find a book that is a good book, but it reading it stops me in my tracks. And I, and most of the time that happens to me with nonfiction, like I'll start reading a memoir or a nonfiction title and I kind of get not bogged down in it because that's a different problem, but it will affect my reading rhythm. It will prevent me from moving forward and from reading the next thing. So I think an audiobook could be a great way to get back in the habit of reading, to try a new format, to kind of spark new life into your reading. I also want to encourage you, as I hope I always do on this podcast, to give grace to yourself. It's okay if you're reading at a different pace than you were a year ago. And so I don't know what your typical reading pace was. Mine, because of my job, is I would say two books a week, give or take. If I read one book a week instead, I think that's okay. So I think maybe set realistic expectations for yourself. So maybe you were reading a book a week for a total of four a month. Well, what have you told yourself? Hey, if I finish one book this month, one really good book that I really love, that would be enough. Then anything else is bonus. Jordan is constantly telling me to lower my expectations. And sometimes I get irritated with him for it. But other times I think he's right. Like, what if I lower those expectations and then I exceed them? And that gives me maybe, maybe I'm an overachiever is the problem, but that gives me like this high of, Hey, I did it. I tackled it. I conquered it. I completed the task I set for myself. So anything extra is just bonus. So give grace to yourself, maybe set a more realistic or lower the expectations of your reading pace and try audiobooks. Those are my suggestions for you, Megan. I hope that helps. Just know you are not alone. I think we all are struggling with this, especially right now. Hi, Annie. Allison here. The pandemic created kind of a weird reading situation for me, so I was wondering if you had any practical advice I could implement into my reading life to kind of help it out. 
Before the pandemic, I was pretty exclusively into historical fiction, literary fiction, contemporary fiction. Uh, I would sprinkle in every once in a while poetry, some memoir, some YA, but those are my big three, really. And during the pandemic, I fell in love with romance and fantasy, which were not genres I ever leaned to before. Uh, so now I'm here with all of these genres I love and want to give time to, but I haven't figured out how to balance all of the specific different types of books I want to read. And then I also have the problem of if I read too many of one specific genre, I feel like I'm kind of in a rut. So I didn't know if you had ever had to balance genres or types of books in your own life and if you had any advice for me there. Thank you. Allison, you have a slightly different problem than Megan or even than myself. It sounds like you are still reading. Your pace has not really changed. You're still reading, but the kinds of books you're reading are different, which Olivia and I have talked about this a lot in the span of the last year and a half, how our reading tastes have changed, what we are seeking out looks a little different. Right now, I think I am more in a reading slump, maybe a little bit like Megan, but it sounds like you have rediscovered or discovered for the first time these great genres that you really like, but now you're struggling to find room in your reading life for the genres that you used to love. And you're ready. You want to incorporate those two things into your reading life, which I think is great. I'm so grateful that you have the bandwidth for that. So I wish I knew a little bit more about your personality. I think we have established that I'm an Enneagram 5, INTJ, love me some data, a little bit Monica Geller. Like there's a lot going on here that really values organization and rhythm. You might be different from me, but I'm going to tell you the first thing that came to my mind when I listened to your conundrum. <laughs> and I think um, even the rhythm of how this podcast is going to work for the rest of the year, I find myself gravitating towards establishing rhythms. And I think it's because the rest of the world feels like chaos. And so I'm trying to implement organizational tactics and tools in my own life to for some semblance of control. But this isn't my therapy session. This is yours, Allison. <laughs> so, so the very first thing that came to my mind might be a little bit too Monica Geller for you. I don't know. But the first thing I thought of was, oh my gosh, what if Allison had different weeks assigned to different genres? So the first week of the month, she reads a historical fiction. The second week of the month, she reads a nonfiction. The third week of the month, she reads a rom-com. And the fourth week, she reads a fantasy. Something like that. Obviously, this will not work for everyone. I think a lot of readers, myself included, really like to leave room for serendipity in their reading. And so I have some other tips for that. But if you are a little bit like Monica Geller or you're an Enneagram 1 or a 5 and you like regular rhythms and <laughs> almost a liturgy of reading, to borrow a religious phrase... I'm wondering if a pattern of reading might work for you and if setting up different weeks for different genres might be a great way to still cling to these genres that you found a lot of comfort in the last year, but also re-inviting the former genres that you loved back into your reading life. So that's one tip is to kind of assign a different genre, a different week in your reading. That's if you are highly organized and really love the idea of rhythms or liturgies. If you are more spontaneous and you prefer leaving some room for spontaneity in your reading, 
I highly recommend having almost different stacks or if you, (laughs) I say different stacks because I'm in a room right at this moment with lots of different stacks of books. For you, it might be different lists. So maybe you have a list of historical fiction that you want to tackle in the next six months. Maybe you have a list of rom-coms that are kind of stacking up and that you really want to read before Christmas or something like that have those stacks or lists available to you and listen. This is going to sound so cheesy, but I think it's true. Like listen to what you're wanting, to what you're longing for. Are you longing for comfort? Then scratch a rom-com off your list. Are you looking for a little bit of excitement? Like your life is feeling a little mundane and so you need something fun and interesting? Then grab a sci-fi off your list. I think running off of these different lists might show you, oh, I have plenty of options. And sometimes, right, that can stress people out. So this is really personality-based. Too many options might stress somebody else out. But maybe you really like having options to choose from. I think having lists or stacks of books that you're working from could help you. And one really big thing I've noticed for my own reading life in this pandemic is I need to not be stuck without a book. I need to know either what I'm reading next or what possibilities are next. And I need that so I don't leave too much lag time between books in order to keep my hobby of reading, my rhythm of reading up and running. I need to have something next on the TBR list. So if you're like me and you like a little bit of rhythm, I think assigning weeks could be really fun, a really fun practice to try. Even if you don't stick with it, like for the rest of the year, maybe you try it for the month of September and you see if that works for you. uh, Tackling lists or stacks of books, I think is the next option. And then, okay, hear me out. But I think my reading life is highly affected by my literal life. So For weeks that you see on your literal calendar that are stressful and busy at your work or in your family life that you just know, ooh, I have a lot of appointments this week or I have a lot of meetings this week, be strategic and say, okay, this week I clearly need Carrie Winfrey in my life. Like I need rom-coms. I mean, I need Jasmine Guillory up in my grill. Like I... Is that, I don't know. Was that inappropriate? Hard to say. Um, so invite those books into your life on weeks where you need them the most. And then on weeks where you're feeling maybe good, or I say maybe good, my headspace is weird um, as we enter like stage five of this pandemic. But if you find yourself having a pretty good week, a pretty reliable week, maybe then you have a little bit more bandwidth for literary fiction. That is one of my big struggles. If I was giving therapy to myself, my conundrum would be, how do I love literary fiction again? Because that has been really hard for me and that's normally been my go-to genre. But I think I've had a hard time with it because life is really full. And I'm accustomed to that every November, December. I'm not accustomed to that for 18 months on end. And so maybe I need to start looking at my life and realizing, oh, and I do this a little bit, like this week, I really need to tackle and find a shelf subscription. And so that's the goal this week. But next week, when I don't have too much going on, maybe I could try some literary fiction or a heavier nonfiction book. And then weeks where I know I have a mammogram or a skin check, something stressful, I need those comforting, cozy reads. So listen to the rhythms of your regular life, set a pattern for your reading, and have stacks or lists of books to go off of. Those are my recommendations for you, Allison. I hope that helps. 
Hi, Annie. This is Natalie from Jenkintown, Pennsylvania, a little town outside of Philadelphia. You might have heard of it if you've ever watched the Goldbergs. Anyway, I'm a mom of five kids who are all home with me this summer. And here in the Philly area, they don't start school until after Labor Day. So we are still in the middle of summer vacation. And my reading life has totally taken a hit this summer. I'm in the market for some quick reads, something to keep my attention that's short, maybe under 300 pages. I'd love it if you could give me some suggestions. Thanks so much. Bye. Natalie, again, I just want to say you are not alone. I hear from a lot of moms. Locally, school has started back, but I hear from a lot of moms who want to make sure there's room in their lives for their own reading. But I also want to encourage you to incorporate your kids in your reading. So my first suggestion is reading Kidlet is 100% okay for grownups to do. And in fact, might even be good for us. It might even be good for us to read books that remind us of our own childhoods or that help put us back in the skin of our children. (laughs) There's got to be a less creepy way to say that. But basically to remind us of what our kids are going through, I think rereading or revisiting children's literature and reading with your kids is just as valuable as reading on your own. So My first tip for you with your five kids still at home for the summer is to incorporate them into your reading. Maybe read aloud together each night at the end of the day. Maybe start your day with a chapter or two or reading a picture book together. I don't know how old your kids are. But I do think incorporating reading into your family's life could be a fun way to end out the summer. One of my favorite things that I've already mentioned is Jordan and I, we've set a rhythm to our days for the summer because summer is not actually where I super thrive. And so we've assigned Wednesdays to be Wizarding Wednesdays. So we know that we are going to read at least a chapter of Harry Potter every week. If we do more than that, great. If we don't, we don't. But it is a fun thing that we now look forward to and reading aloud together has been really delightful. And we don't even have children. So maybe for you, that could be something that you could incorporate. That's my first suggestion. And if you're looking for read aloud suggestions, I think there are all kinds of podcasts and websites out there that could help you. But I will tell you that a couple of books that I have enjoyed revisiting in this latest season have been Walk Two Moons by Sharon Creech. And as I've mentioned many, many times before, from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler by E.L. Konigsberg. Those are two, I think, go-to classic works of middle grade fiction that you could read aloud and I think would be equally appropriate even if your kids are a little bit younger, as young as I would think even six or so. Now, Walk Two Moon's a little sad, but I think you can handle it. So that's a suggestion. What you really were looking for, though, was books for your own reading life. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So I do have some suggestions for short books that you can kind of fly through to just, I guess, help you realize that you're accomplishing something and that you still love reading. Books to help you realize this is still something you enjoy. This is something that you do have time for. The key is, like you said, books that are fewer than 300 pages. I did you one better. I did even smaller because I kind of feel like five kids at home, last month of summer, pandemic encroaching on all of our lives. I just feel like you might want to go shorter. So so here are some recommendations. The first is Heating and Cooling by Beth Ann Finnelly. This is a book that came out a few years ago. It's a collection of micro memoirs, micro essays. I adored this book when it came out. When you either check it out from your library or get it from a bookstore, you will get it and you'll be like, Annie, this book is so small, but it is so good. And it is so lovely. And I looked back at my copy before I recorded this episode and I loved flipping through the pages and seeing my underlinings. So even though it's super short and there are some pages that are just like a paragraph long, she is packing a punch in every 
paragraph in every sentence. So you're going to get a lot out of it, even though it's short and to the point. Next up, Brood by Jackie Polson. This is one of my favorite books. Wish I could remember what year. I, I, don't, I don't remember if it came out this year. I think it did. I read it in 2020, but I think it came out this year. I love this book. It is a little weird, but you care immensely. By the end of it, you care immensely about these chickens. And if they survive, you also care deeply for an unnamed narrator, which I think it's hard to sometimes to care and to have empathy for an unnamed character in a book, but you do. You have no problem with that in this book. I adored this one and it is very short. You'll fly through it and it is a little different. And it was a piece of literary fiction that I actually liked in the last year, which is saying something. Then I've got a memoir for you that I read in 2020. It was one of my favorite books I read last year. I have been assigned The Single Bird by Sue Cerulean. Beautiful nature writing, beautiful writing about caring for an elderly parent. I adored this one and I think it is well worth your time and you will fly through it. Like it is not slow. It, you do not get bogged down and it is not very long at all. Next up, Stay With Me by Ayubami Adebayo. I adored this book when it came out a few years ago. It is now a backlist title, so it's available in paperback. I loved this book. It is about infertility, marriage. Mm, I Just thinking about it, it is so well told and well written and so short. Again, you, again, all of these books are shorter than your required 300 pages, which I do think is a good kind of marker to set. And I think you would fly through it. If you want to tackle some poetry in this season, I think that's another good route to go. And I can't stop recommending What Kind of Woman by Kate Bear. I think you in particular will really appreciate her poems about motherhood. And I think it could really give you some inspiration as well. I think it could really just be a beautiful practice to maybe start your day with a poem from Kate Bear. Or if you're like me, you'll intend to read a poem a day and instead you'll just read the whole thing. <laughs> you'll just read the whole thing in one sitting. Next up, My Sister the Serial Killer by Owen Khan Braithwaite. I loved this book. Now, even if you are not a thriller suspense reader, I do think this one is worth trying. But obviously from the title, I hope you realize it is a thriller suspense book. But it is so well written and so succinct. I'm telling you, these books... The beauty of less than 300 pages is that these authors are telling complete and total stories, but they're taking up way fewer pages than maybe some other works of fiction that I still really like. But there is something about these authors who are able to tell a complete story in 200 pages that I find really inspiring and really gratifying as a reader. A book that I have not read, but it does have a sequel coming out this fall. And I am curious about it because it is little, like heating and cooling level little. And we sold a lot of copies of this last year. An Elderly Lady is Up to No Good by Helene Turston. Again, just a little, we're talking heating and cooling level little book made up of short stories that are kind of murder mysteries, cozy mysteries. We sold a ton of this last year and the sequel is coming out this year. So it might be a good time to try it. Again, if you are a suspense thriller, cozy mystery fan. Then last but not least, books that I have mentioned a couple of times here on the podcast and I've heard them mentioned other places before, maybe Ann Bogle, 84 Charing Cross Road and The Duchess of Bloomsbury Street. Those are two separate books by Helene Hamp. They brought me so much comfort in 2019. Great audiobooks if you think 
audiobooks might be something to try. I do think that could be valuable. Erin, who works at the bookshelf, she has three kids who are school-aged and she reads so much. And I think the way she does it, we've talked about it before, is audiobooks. So you may want to try audiobooks. And if you do, I think 84 Charing Cross Road would really be a lovely place to start. And again, that book is super small, which means the audiobook is super short. So I think Natalie, this gives you a place to start. I understand where you're coming from. I don't think you're the only person who really wants shorter books in this season. Obviously, yes, five kids, summer vacation, you probably need them more than I do, but I find myself agreeing with you. Like I, maybe it goes back to my attention span that Megan mentioned. Like I just find myself needing succinct books that are to the point, but that still are well-written and still tell really good and powerful stories. And I think all of these books do that. Okay, we're going to close with Beth's question. And I just want to preface Beth's question by saying, this is a question that not only made me laugh out loud, but just filled me with a lot of joy because I immediately knew the perfect person to answer this question. So Beth, what literary dilemma are you bringing to the table today? Hey, Annie, my name is Beth. I'm from Smyrna, Georgia, and I'm in the process of adopting my first little kitten. She is a little black and white rescue. And I don't know what to name her. I would love to name her something literary, be it an author's name or a character or a cat that's already in a book. But I really just need some help figuring that out. So if you have any suggestions, that'd be great. Thank you. Okay. So we have a new staffer at the bookshelf, Mary Catherine. She's going to be taking over our marketing and events. And she immediately was like, oh, my aunt and uncle have a dog named Fitz, named after Fitzwilliam Darcy. So I think, first of all, Beth, there are lots of great literary names for your new kitten. And I hope the kitten, by the way, brings you so much joy. I feel like we need that in this season. So I hope she does that for you. So I think there are so many different routes you can go. Mary Catherine had this great suggestion of kind of thinking outside the box instead of maybe Darcy, although Darcy would be perfect for your kitten. I think the name fits for a dog is really cute. So Mary Catherine went that route. But then I brought this dilemma to the person I knew would have opinions, which is resident cat lover, Olivia. Olivia owns four cats. She loves them all equally. She shows videos of them at work. They are delightful. And although I am not a huge cat person, I have an appreciation for them now because of Olivia. (laughs) And so not only is Olivia our resident cat lover, she is also really, really good at puns. It's like her spiritual gift (laughs) is puns. And if you are a shelf subscriber with the bookshelf, every month, Olivia comes up with a discount code. She works with Lucy to come up with a discount code to share with subscribers. So you get 10% off your subscription. That's if your subscription is running out, you get 10% off. It's a whole thing. But the important part is that Olivia wants to come up with a pun for each month. And like it's become a thing where she pulls our staff to get people's input. It is truly something she exceeds at and is really good at. And so I thought, what would Olivia do? What would Olivia name a cat if she was trying to go the literary route? So I asked her. And Beth, you'll be pleased to know there's an entire Google Notes (laughs) devoted to this very question. But I went through and picked the ones that I think would be applicable because um, you are adopting a girl and a little kitten. And so here are Olivia's punny suggestions. 
I hope this is as fun for you as it was for Olivia and for me upon seeing this list. First up, I hope I can do this with a straight face. First up, Joe Miouch. <laughs> Um, if you're not, if it's not coming through in audio, Joe March, uh, but instead of Joe March, instead of just Joe for your cute little kitten, Joe Meowch, <laughs> which, which makes me laugh every time I say it. Okay. Next up. Maybe if that's not for you, that's fine. Permione Granger. Mm, so good. Such a good pun. Okay. I did think the name Jane would be really cute for a cat. I don't know why. I think I like human names for animals. I think there's like, I think that's called something when you prefer human names for animals. But so I love the name Jane, but I do appreciate where Olivia went with this because I do think it's important for her animals to have middle names. So Jane Poston, I just feel like it's really perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so I think this would be really great because you could call your cat Jane. You could call your kitten Jane. But when people come over, you could introduce her as Jane Poston, which I just think people would really appreciate. Of course, you know, I think a lot of cat lovers might go straight to Katniss Everdeen because it's already got cat in the title. But Olivia did you one better. Cat Hiss Everdeen is the direction that Olivia went. <laughs> okay, <laughs> next up, Paulette Bronte which I do think is really great. It brings that, I feel like Paul actually goes with a lot of different things. So you can play around with this, Beth. My personal favorite though, I saved the best for last. If we had a drum roll sound, um, I would put it right here. Here's my favorite. Anne Purley. You know, like Anne Shirley, but purr like cat. Um, Anne Purley. Here's the reason, again, why I like this. Jane, this and Jane Pawson are my personal favorites. Because, again, you can just call your little kitten Anne. And that's what you call her when she's in your house or when you're calling her to come inside. But when you introduce her, which I think is a really important part of pet ownership, when you introduce her to the world, when you post about her to Instagram, when you introduce her to a house guest, you get to say, this is Anne Purley. And I just feel like you will know who your friends are by whether or not they laugh at them. And I think that's an important test. So, Beth, I hope that helps. This is a really great literary dilemma to close on. Thank you so much, everyone who contributed your literary conundrums and quandaries. Again, you are not alone in having every sort of literary dilemma. I think we all are in a little bit of a funk. Well, I won't speak for everyone. Maybe you're doing great. I've been in a little bit of a funk. My own reading life has suffered a little bit, or if not suffered, certainly changed. So I hope you were able to get some good solutions here today. If you have a literary dilemma that you want to share, please go to fromthefrontporchpodcast.com forward slash contact. Scroll to the middle of the page. You'll see an orange button and you can leave me a voicemail there. Your literary conundrum might be featured in an upcoming episode of From the Front Porch. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in South Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelfteville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, www.bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at From the Front Porch Podcast. Com. Special thanks to Dylan and his team at Studio D Production for sound and editing and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. This week, I'm reading When Thoughts and Prayers Aren't Enough by Taylor S. Schumann. 
If you liked what you heard on today's episode, tell us by leaving a review on iTunes. Or if you're so inclined, support us on Patreon, where you can follow along as Hunter and I conquer a classic, and you can participate in monthly lunch break Q&A videos. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week.